Let me just begin by uh, telling you about what this year was supposed to be about. This year uh, was themed unrestrained. And the hope was that by the end of this year, that if there have been things that have been holding you back, that you would learn to move past those things. To be honest in life, there's all kinds of things that hold people back. It could, it could be fear, could be insecurity. Sometimes people are just held back because of the relationships that they have. Maybe the counsel that surrounds them, the people that speak into their life. There's all kinds of things that hold us back in life. Now I read scripture, it says that Jesus came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. And it's been my experience in time that not everyone gets to live the abundant life that God has promised them. Our hope this year was that we would continue to move forwards and maybe face and maybe address some of the things in life that holds us back. I hope if there have been things in your life that have been holding you back, that this has been a year where you've been able to face that. But we're moving into next year. And this week, God gave me a word for this church. And I don't say that very often because you know, imagine if I every week I said, you know, I've got a new word for the church and we were going here or going there. It'd be very hard for all of them to be accurate. But yet I feel that God has placed a word in my heart for Activate Church. And it's actually bridging us from the season that we've been in into the season that we're going into, into 2015. Now, the year 2015, uh, the theme for next year is your kingdom come. I think that's great. I would love to see the kingdom of God established and not just here sort of in church. The kingdom of God is a space that you enter into. It's a space that surrounds you. It's the way that you think. It's the way that you interact with people and situations. It gives you opportunity to see problems and address them on a spiritual level when you understand your place in the kingdom, when you understand the authority that God has given to you. So this week I was praying to God and I said, Lord, I would like for you to give me a word about going into next year. He said, I want you to preach on being born of water and spirit. And so I looked that passage up and I began to read it. And I said, great. I said, do you have anything else? Because I read it the first time and I thought, it sounds great, but I just don't understand what you're saying to me in it. As I began to work through it, God began to reveal to me the things that would be in store for us as a church next year. I'm very excited about it. It ended a lot better than it started. So I want to talk to you today about being born of water and of spirit. So to begin, let me start by saying there is a conversation that takes place in the Bible between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. We're going to read that scripture. It comes out of John chapter 3. And this is what it says. If you've got a Bible, you can go to it. If not, just look to the screens. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. If you read on in verse 10, he was quoted by Jesus. He said that he was the teacher in Israel. In fact, if you read the original language, the Bible indicates, that this is John's gospel, he indicates that Nicodemus was the leading theologian of his day. He was a person who was the leader of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of people that sort of led the Jewish community. So it was made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and elders and the high priest. And so he was a man that was part of that. He was the teacher of Israel. And Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus never asks. I don't know if you saw that, but Nicodemus never asked a question and yet Jesus answers it. I love that Jesus knows what's on our hearts and what's on our minds and He answers questions that we never ask. In fact, sometimes, as we discovered last week, Jesus answers prayers we never pray. You know why? Because He's got a plan for our life. He's actually bringing us along the journey with Him. And even if you're a little slow to catch on, that is okay because Jesus is actually there with you to help you and to work with you. So He answers a question. Now, here's the question that Nicodemus wanted to say but never did. He said, we know how you're doing it. You must be doing it by God. We know you must be a teacher. You must be this person that comes from God. But we don't know how you're doing the miracles. How is it that you're doing it? You see, when Nicodemus addressed Jesus as rabbi, he was being very kind. Jesus never went to Bible college. Jesus never underwent any formal degree or training. And so when he calls him rabbi, he's just being kind. Because it wasn't, Jesus wasn't recognised. That's why every time Jesus would go into the temple, He'd begin to speak. What did they say? They said, where does He get this? We do not understand. Where does this information come from? You would be surprised, or perhaps you won't, about what can come from you when you spend time with your Father who's in heaven. The truth is, you don't need a degree to go and do what God has called you to do. You don't need a degree. You don't need to go and do formal study. If you want to, I'd encourage you to do it. Jay Lomer is looking at me right now and saying, internship, internship. But you don't have to go and study and get a degree to learn everything that you need to know about God. Nicodemus could see the effects of the kingdom, but he couldn't understand how these things were going. And Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to see it, you've got to be born again. Now, Nicodemus can't understand it. He sees the effects of it. He sees what has been done. He says, how could you do these miracles? How is it possible, Jesus, that you could do any of these things? We're seeing them. He, Jesus goes to answer him. He says, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, you're not going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. You're never going to be able to understand the things that I'm telling you about because it was veiled to him. There was something he couldn't see past. You know, when babies get born, 
they learn to do everything from scratch. When people give their life to Jesus, I feel like they need to go back to the start and relook at how life happens. You need to start to think differently about how things begin to unfold in your life. It's like we almost need to go back to the start and say, I want to re-understand myself. I want to see myself the way that God sees me. I need to look at everything again from the beginning. And that's one of the things that Nicodemus needed to do, and yet he hadn't done it. Now, when Jesus says to him, this is what you need to do, that word for you is plural. He was saying the entire Sanhedrin, if you guys want to see anything that I'm doing right now, if you want to see the kingdom, you need to be born again. John the Baptist was exactly the same as Nicodemus in the sense that he was not in the kingdom. He couldn't see the kingdom. He had glimpses of it. The disciples had glimpses of it. Peter said, you are the Christ. But after Jesus was crucified, obviously they were concerned. They all abandoned. Some disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking, Jesus shows up. Why? Because in that moment they thought, wow, we don't know if this is the guy. John the Baptist was put in prison. Again, we spoke about this last week, but he didn't know if Jesus really was the Messiah. He thought he was. And then he goes through some personal tragedy, being locked up in prison and eventually beheaded. And he, you know, he's trying to figure out if Jesus really is the guy. Now, Jesus said this. Jesus spoke of John the Baptist and he said, From those or among those born of women. That's everyone. Okay? Among those born of women. I don't know why he just didn't say everyone. Why does Jesus say that sometimes? Just speak English, mate. He says, Among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Why? Because John wasn't in the kingdom. That's why the least in the kingdom would be greater than John the Baptist. So he has glimpses. He can see some things, but it's not fully revealed to him. Some things are still veiled. The least in the kingdom would be greater than him. What does that mean? Well, let me explain what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we wait till we die. And when we get into heaven, you're allocated a position. Imagine if you died. And when you got there, they said, welcome. We're so glad you could make it. You scraped in just above John. You are the least. The tribe has spoken. You are the least in the kingdom. No one gets ranked in heaven like that. What is he talking about? He's not trying to suggest that when we go into the kingdom, that there is an order and that you'd be ranked. He's saying there is something that will set apart. Even the lowest person who enters into the kingdom will move in such a way that it will be more powerful than what we've seen from John the Baptist. He said the kind of person that enters into the kingdom will be greater than him. See, when you get born again, you're greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because of the position that you carry. Because of the authority that you have that is on your life. That's why you become greater than John. Nicodemus says, how can that be? How is that possible? (laughs) He says, every time I read this, I just think, Nick. He says, So you're telling me if I crawl back into my mother's womb that this is what I need to do. And Jesus, no wonder Jesus was astounded because Jesus is like, are you serious? 
That is what you came up with. You're the leading teacher in Israel, and you're asking me if it's possible to crawl back. I mean, that's just yuck. I mean, that's just don't even, don't think there, don't go there. Years of counseling to deal with that kind of imagery. Like, I mean, you know, don't crawl back. He's trying to explain to him about what being born again is. Jesus says, if you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter. Now he says, you have to be born again, which means to be born from above. If you're born from above, then you can see the kingdom of God. But if you're born of water and of spirit, then you can actually enter into the kingdom. There's two things going on here. One, we can see the kingdom. Another one, we can enter into the kingdom. I went with my kids to the Melbourne Aquarium some time ago, and we had a great time. And I like looking at all the exhibits and everything, but by far the most popular part of that tour or, or, or of the uh, aquarium was actually the touch and feel tank. There was a big queue for it. Kids are getting in there. There's all kinds of sea urchins and like slimy things and they're just, they want to touch everything, you know. And you know why? Because it's one thing to see the animals. It's another thing to touch them. God never wanted us to just be people that would see the kingdom. He wanted us to be the kind of people that would enter into the kingdom and not wait till we get to heaven to actually enter into it. But there would be a time on earth when we would actually enter into it. And he says, water and the Spirit, if you're born of water and the Spirit, that would be the fulfillment of what God had promised. When I say born of water, it is not talking about baptism. It's not talking about baptism. He's not saying if you're baptized and if you receive the Spirit of God, that that would be the fulfillment. See, if you were water baptized, that'd be something that you could take into your own hands. That'd be something that you could do. But he points to something even greater than this. And whatever this fulfillment is, this promise, this day that was waited on, it must have been important because Jesus, or God told all the major prophets he spoke to them. You can read about it in Jeremiah. You can read about it in Isaiah. You can read it in Ezekiel. And when he quotes, when he says this to Nicodemus to be born of water and the Spirit, he's actually quoting directly out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is what it says in verse 25 and 26. He says, uh, have we gone back to the start? Here we go. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. In the Hebrew, that means a new mind. It means that you would think differently. It means you would have a different will. It would mean you have a different desire. He said, I'll put a new spirit in you. He, in the Hebrew, that means your feelings, your attitudes, your dispositions. I will put that within you and I will remove a heart of stone or the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. The thing is that the law was never going to accomplish what the spirit could. The law was never going to do what God had intended. God created people with a purpose and intention. And they came and the children of Israel, they said, tell us everything we need to do to accomplish the thing that you've called us to. And so he said, okay, if that's the way that you want to do it, let me tell you what it is. They had 613 commandments in the Bible or 613 commandments that Israel had to follow. And, and, and if you broke one of them, you, you were liable for breaking them all. And so 
that were never going to be able to do it. No one was able to do it. The only person who was able to fulfill and not break any of those 613 commandments was Jesus. And so for thousands of years, the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren, that the devil, that Satan, that he would stand before God. It says this, read it. It says he stands before God day and night and he accuses people. You see what they did? You see how they broke your law? You see how they messed up again? You see how they can't do what you asked them to do? And Jesus is our answer to every accusation that comes against His people. Jesus came to set people free from the power of sin because it ruled and reigned in people's lives. And so when He would come and stand before God and say, do you see how they're addicted to pornography? Do you see how they're addicted to drugs? Do you see how they treat their wife? Do you see their background? Do you see their history? Do you see the way they mess up relationships? Do you see the way that they cross their own boundaries all the time because they can't deal with temptation? Do you see the way that they do that? They're your people. And what God's response to the devil is, yep, and Jesus paid for that and Jesus died for that and He died for that and He died for this and He died for that. And when they sin tomorrow, He will die for that too. Or He has died for that. Jesus was God's answer to the problem of sin. The problem was that the stain of sin could not be removed. And the enemy of your soul would seek to remind you of that day and night. You cannot go where God is wanting to take you. You will not do what God wants to do with your life. Do you know why? Because you still mess up. And Jesus is your response to that accusation. But He died for me. Your permanent state is not a state of uncleanness. It's a state of being cleaned. It's a state of being washed. It's a state of being set free from the power of sin. You see, everything that God does in that Scripture we just read has absolutely nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you largely have nothing to do with this, but I will set you free. If you read before that, the context, He says, I'll set you free, not because of you, but because of me. Paul wrote that the, that the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings life. Revelation 12, 11 says that we have overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. That means that our sin have been forgiven and by the word of our testimony. If you don't feel like you've got a testimony, you do. You may not even be aware of it. Here it is for you. Even if you are a career Christian, you grew up in the church playing between the pews, here is your testimony. There was a point in your life where you sinned, you disobeyed God. You still do at times. Jesus died for that. So can I skip to the end of the book and tell you that we win? I just skip to the end. We win. That's the end. The, the, it, it's already been achieved. It's already been done. It's already been finished. You go all the way to the end. What happens? We are victorious. And we're not supposed to just be victorious once we get to heaven. We die and we go, thank God, all that temptation is over. Now I can sin and live in this place and be free. That was not God's plan for you. God's plan for you was to live in freedom on earth as it is in heaven. God's plan for you would be to bring the kingdom into this earth as it is in heaven. God had a plan far greater than just saving you. And when you die, you get to go and you get to be with Him. So Israel said, write everything down so we know what to do. He wrote it down on the outside and nothing changed. Nothing happened. In fact, people started obeying God out of religious duty. 
Have you ever seen somebody who's maybe been serving in a capacity or an area and the moment that they're free of that title or that position, they run a million miles in the opposite direction? Have you ever seen a teenager that listened to their mum and their dad and they obeyed them up until the day that they turned 18? Then they said, now I get to make my own decisions. They run a million miles in the other direction. Have you ever had somebody quit at work and they were doing their job and they were doing a great job and they you know, were, were passionate about the workplace, but when they quit in the weeks that precede that, they don't care about anything. You know what that tells me? It says that they did it because they had to, not because they wanted to. And that was not what God was looking for. He was not looking for a generation of people that would obey God because they have to, because it's written down, because it's law. He said, I'm looking for a generation of people that instead of obeying me because they have to, they obey me because they love me. They obey me because they want to. He said, I wrote it down on the outside. It didn't work. So I'm going to write it on the inside. And when I write it on the inside, I will give them a new mind. I will give them a new heart. I'll make them see things the way that I see them. And these people, when I raise this generation, this will be the generation that loves me. And the generation that catches the things that I'm talking about, they will do great things in Jesus' name. When he talks about water, he's talking about salvation. When you're sprinkled clean by the water that Christ or the water that God puts on you, you're set free from the power of sin. You're set free from it. There was nothing that you did to add to that. You, with no help from you, that's something He did. He took out your stone heart and He gave you a new heart. It meant that you would then be responsive to Him, that you'd be responsive to the Word of God, that you'd be responsive to His promptings, that you wouldn't go for weeks without prayer and then just not feel anything or not feel guilty because you know that you have to, but there would be a longing for an intimacy for, to go into that place with God, not because you have to, but just because you love Him. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, Paul says that we are to be ministers of this new covenant that God is bringing, that this would be the new covenant that He would bring and that we would be ministers of it. You know, here's the thing. If we're going to be ministers of the new covenant that God has brought, I want you to understand, and can we come into agreement today, that it is absolutely impossible to do what God is asking you to do without His help. You look at the Great Commission, and what has He actually asked you to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, cast out demons. There's a whole host of things that God asks us to do in life. But any of those things that I just listed, that's the Great Commission. And you can't do one thing, not one of those things, without God helping you to do it. So what God does is He gives you supernatural ability to meet the demands of the commission He gave you. He saved you. He set you free. He, gave you, he sanctified you. He justified you, which actually means for those of you that said, I don't even know what those words mean. Sanctification means that He makes you holy. Justification means that He takes His righteousness and He places it on you. You get His perfect life in place of your own sinful one. See, God knew that human nature, that human desire, that's flesh. What's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of human desire will always be human desire. It will get human results. But your commission is one that is supernatural. I need to tell you today that God didn't commission a group of people and say, I expect you to do supernatural things without giving you the aid to actually do it. 
If you understand what I'm saying correctly, I'm saying that to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, it's not a special anointing that belongs to the elite. It is a general commission that was taught to the disciples, which is supposed to come through every generation and land on you. It's not like you should look for someone special to do what you can do because God gave you that commission. If He wants you to heal the sick, then open your mouth, believe with your heart, begin to speak out words of truth over the person that you're praying for. God gave you supernatural ability to complete the commission that He gave to you. He cleansed you to receive a kingdom into your heart that you would begin to outwork with your hands and feet. Do you know the Bible says that actually if you could not contain the Spirit of God in you unless He first cleansed you. Do you know that this is what the Israelites said? They said, Who else has heard the voice of God from the midst of fire and lived through it? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that the, even the voice of God was so powerful that literally they said, Who could live through hearing His voice? And we live in a day and age where His Spirit resides in you. If that doesn't transform the way that you understand what God has given to you and the authority that's placed on you, I'm not quite sure how to communicate it to you any better than that. You're born of spirit so that you could touch it. You're born of spirit, born of the spirit, so that you wouldn't just live in a space where you could see the kingdom, but you're called to enter into it. You're called to enter into the kingdom. You're called to produce supernatural results. And so... Let's just read this scripture. This comes from all these pieces, broken and scattered in mercy. I don't, guys, I don't know how to work this into my message. I mean, I can try, but it's going to be difficult. Wait, give me a, wait a minute. Oh, no. All right, I don't have to do it. Here we go. This is what it says. It says that He being Jesus, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal promise. We're called to do things on behalf of God. He gave us His Spirit so that we could accomplish and meet the demands of the commission that's before us. He put His Spirit in us. And if you read and believe what John says about this, he says God's Spirit is in you and he put it in you without measure. Without measure. You didn't get just a little drop of his Spirit. You didn't get just a little bit. He put it in without measure. In other words, if you've received the Spirit, God has actually poured out into you so that not only can you just receive instruction, but you've got the power to carry it out. And when his Spirit came, what did Jesus say? He said, before you go out, to fulfill the Great Commission. Don't think about departing Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit came, what happened? They were filled with power. This was the day that was prophesied by all the major prophets. They would point to it and say, there is coming a day when we will be cleansed and empowered. And I'm telling you that right now, we live in the reality of that Scripture. Everything that the world was waiting for, won't it be great when the day comes, when the Holy One comes, when the Anointed One comes, and the things that we're looking for, these things begin to happen. You would 
given Spirit, the Spirit of God, so that you could overcome the world. And it's got nothing to do with how great you are and everything to do with how great and how mighty and how powerful your God is. You know, the Bible says that we've overcome the world because of the Spirit that's inside of us. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone that's born of God overcomes the world. So what could it be in the world that could keep you back from what God has done, from what God is doing in your life, in the lives of people around you? When I say to you that the voice of God was so powerful that people said, who could live through the sound of His voice? For many of you, that might just wash over you and say, yeah, okay, you gave your life to Jesus. But have you noticed that shift in power? Have you noticed that it's there? Do you know that it's in you? Is it something that people are talking about, but you never experience? People adapt very quickly to live in a state of regeneration. You have been regenerated. It's something that God did to you. You live in that state right now. And while sometimes the enemy will try to remind you of your past failures and faults, your answer to him is that Jesus died on the cross to set you free from the power of sin. That's the space where you may be comfortable with. But what you've got to learn to do is you've got to learn to live in a renewed state of mind. It's one thing to live regenerate because there's nothing you need to do. But actually, when you cross the line, that was the setup for the greater thing to come, which is that you would live in a renewed state of mind. You've got to learn to live like that. I don't think that comes as easy as regeneration. Regeneration is done to you. You just, every day you wake up, you know that you're forgiven. You know you're set free. But when it comes time to renewal, where you see things and you go, oh, oh, that doesn't seem right. I need to change that or I need to do something about that. That's living in a state of renewal. That's understanding who God's called you to be. And that isn't so easy. That's something that people need to learn. And he says all of this to Nicholas and to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, I imagine that he stood there gobsmacked. You never, by the way, you never get a response from Nicodemus. He never says anything back to Jesus about any of this. He hears it. And he's probably standing there with his mouth open. Here is the teacher of Israel, the leading theologian on his day. The Messiah is three feet from him. He has no idea. The king is in his midst. See, when you live in a kingdom, you know who your king is. Everybody that doesn't know or understand that Jesus is the king of the world and has been given authority and power and dominion over it, anyone that doesn't know that still has the veil over their head, still has the veil over their eyes. They don't see it the way that it's supposed to be. And what Jesus was really saying is a generation of people will be regenerated and renewed. You were washed, sprinkled clean by what God has done. You were regenerate. Your spirit came alive in you. So not only could you hear God's voice after His spirit, the spirit was awakened, you could hear Him, but He's given you authority and power to actually do something about what you hear. So when God calls you forth, 
You have everything you need to step into it. You know what Peter said? Peter said that you are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You have a earthly bloodline. But when you become a servant of the Most High, when you become a son, when you become a daughter, you have a spiritual bloodline. You are a servant of the Most High. You are a son and daughter of your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, if you understand the things that I'm talking about, you won't just see the kingdom. It won't be everyone else's stories and everyone else's testimonies. It won't be that. If you are a person who wants to actually enter into the realm of things that we're talking about, you must be born of water, which means you've given your life to Jesus. And you must receive the Spirit of God. If you do those two things, if you understand those things, then you can enter into the Kingdom of God. Now, this is what happens when you enter into the Kingdom of God. All bets are off. Everything that was impossible becomes possible. Everything that you thought, there is no way that this situation could turn around, becomes completely plausible because you live in a kingdom. And even though you're here on earth, you live under the dominion of the King who lives in heaven. Everything has been given to Him. Every authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. All power, all authority, and you live under that. And when you begin to execute justice on the earth, when you begin to let the blind see, when you begin to pray for people and sick people be made well and muscles begin to go together, it happens because you live not under this earthly rule and reign, but you live under your Father who is in heaven. I don't know about you. I want an entire church that enters into the Kingdom of God. I don't want a church that merely sees it and wishes we could have it, but we never touch it. It never becomes reality for us. I'm looking for a generation of people as God is who actually believe what He says. Many of you are sitting here today and you say, but I, I have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. I've been sprinkled clean by that water and I have received the Spirit of God. I mean, I, I speak in a prayer language. I, I, I think I have both those things. Do you understand what that means to you this morning? That means that you're actually there. You probably entered in and maybe you have no idea. And so what this morning is about is about helping you to become aware of where you already are. You're already there. There's nothing you need to do. Sometimes we just need it to be revealed to us. So instead of looking at the situations that life throws to us and saying, I don't know what I can do about that. You say, no, I know what I can do about that. God has given me power. He's given me authority so that I could begin to roll out what I see in heaven. I can roll it out across the earth. Now, God said to me, I want you to preach on being born of water and of the Spirit. I said, all right. I'm glad that we did that little theological lesson just there, but what has it got to do with us? And I felt like He said the water was your year of unrestrained. Water was salvation. Water was the year of salvation. It was the year of being set free. Is that not what salvation does for us? That it sets people free. But as we understand it, being cleansed, being set free, living, going through, being sprinkled by that water was actually the prequel to something greater that God planned to do. And this is what God said to me. He said, your year 2014 was a year of water. But 2015 is your kingdom come. 2015 
will be a year of the Spirit. 2015 will be a year where you don't just see the Kingdom, but you begin to, as a church, enter into the Kingdom of God. If you understand the implications and what that means for you in your life, that means that there is an anointing that is upon this church to begin to move in ways that you haven't moved before. That you would speak to situations and that you would change it because it's on you. It's what God has for us. That this would be a year when miracles would begin to happen. And so here is my prayer. More miracles, more baptism, more people being set free from the power of sin, more people being healed. More be- I-, I pray that this would be a cancer-free zone, that it wouldn't rule or reign in this place, that this would be a place that it just would not happen that it would be a year of seeing God's power and His authority be rolled out across the earth. And I believe that He set us up for this. This year would be to be unrestrained, to get free of those things. Now this is a year when God says, go to work. And not in a work that has anything to do with your salvation. That was accomplished on the cross. You have nothing to put towards that. But this would be a year when God would call forth a generation of people to do the most amazing things. You know, this week, even this week, I was sitting in a cafe, God spoke to me, I gave a word to a lady, I got up, I walked out, another lady, she had a sore hip, I prayed for her on the spot. Just after that, I got a text from Amy. She said, oh, I just prayed for this person. They got healed miraculously on the spot as I prayed for them. I'm telling you that God is wanting us as a church to begin to move into this territory. It's not something you force, it's not something you have to try to do. If, you, if, it's, if it's all of your effort, then it's none of God. But He said, this would be your grace. Can we stand together this morning?